God gave me a gift. I podcast well. I podcast very well. On this episode of Moving Panels, we discuss Mystery Men. Welcome to Moving Panels, the podcast where we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. I'm your host, Laramie Wells, and joining me today in the co-host chair is the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. It's longtime co-host and guest <laughs> host. Uh, it's Tim Williams. How are you, Tim? I'm good, Laramie. Thanks for having me once again. I'm excited about this one. Yes, you actually brought this one up like very early. Like, very early on, I think, I think so, when we yeah. were talking um, about different I, movies, yeah, yeah, uh, and so it's it's fun that we finally get to sit and talk about oh the the 1999 classic <laughs> that is Mystery Men. Oh yeah, yeah, and I and I know I knew nothing about the comic. I just knew it was based on the comic book. So I'm going to learn lots from you today. You're not going to learn an awful lot because <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I am familiar with the comic that they're from. Mm-hmm. I had not ever read it until I was preparing for this show, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll we'll get into my thoughts on that as we yeah. we get into this. So, the Mystery Men were created by Bob Burden, uh, who actually helped write the script as well, and created one of the new characters, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll get into a little bit later. Uh, they appeared in his Flaming Carrot comics back in June of 1987. It was issue number 16. And in that story, uh, the Flaming Carrot, who's the main character, is having a flashback to an adventure he did in the 1970s uh, when he battled a group called the Vile Brotherhood Mm -hmm. and had to stop a army of clones of Hitler's feet. Oh, okay. That's... Interesting enough. Yeah, let me say that again. They fought <laughs> clones of Hitler's feet. So not his whole body. Nope. Just his feet. Just his feet. Just Got feet it. inside these Nazi boots going around causing havoc. Makes yeah. perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, and that about sums up what these uh, <laughs> comics are like. Uh, had you, I know you said you didn't really know this, but had you even ever heard of the Flaming Carrot before? No. No, not until I was looking up the trivia for, you know, from the movie. Yeah. So I was, again, familiar with The Flaming Carrot. I didn't really know anything about it. It's, a, you know, an offshoot comic. The Flaming Carrot debuted in 1979. Okay. This was the, the same time as the golden age of comics. So mm-hmm. this is the same time when Speedy, a Green Arrow sidekick, was having his drug problem. This was the same time that they killed off Gwen Stacy in the Spider-Man okay. comics. Gotcha. So lots of things going on uh, in the world of comics. Um, And this is right before the big change to everything. You know, Chris Claremont comes in and does the X-Men and completely the X-Men we know now is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, Chris Claremont's X-Men. We get all these other changes. So (laughs) the origin of the Flaming Carrot is that he's just a regular dude who lost a bet. Okay. And had to read 5,000 comics in a single sitting. Okay. And in doing so, he goes insane. All right. And he decides to put on a costume. He puts on this carrot mask, um, which, uh, if you look up a picture, it is a full carrot that is taller than he is. So the bottom of the carrot reaches all the way to the floor. 
and then the top of the carrot sticks up and then has this eternal flame on the top of it. <laughs> so he has no powers. He does have a utility belt um, that he keeps really weird and random things in. Okay. But the most significant thing that I, I found about the flaming carrot is that before Howard the Duck, before Deadpool, before mm-hmm. She-Hulk, the flaming carrot was aware he was in a comic book <laughs> and he spoke to the reader. Okay. In the comic. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. But what's interesting is he is actually the founding member of the Mystery Men, mm-hmm. but yet he does not get put in this movie at all. There's no reference to him. There's no, no anything. And I, there, I there is, there is some, which I want to say there's, and I, I should have wrote it down, but there's something about a carrot that said in like a line or it might be in the background of like the name of a, there might be like a flaming carrot club or something on the street. Cause I remember seeing the note in the trivia and then seeing it on the screen. So I must um, not have caught that. Yeah. So there's a, it's, it's very slight and not, you know, not, I want to say it was like, maybe it wasn't flaming carrot. It was something carrot, um, like sign in the background, I think. Huh. Uh, I mean, I, w- I at least, at least they made some yeah, connection they tried to make because some, yeah, yeah there's no, no, nothing that I saw though. So right, right. if it was a sign, it must've been really hidden, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's cool. So at least they acknowledged it there. Uh, you and I actually talked about this, uh, earlier when we were prepping for the show. Uh, there is something on the internet that says they replaced the flaming carrot with Captain Amazing, and mm-hmm. I will not accept that. <laughs> it doesn't fit the sa- He's not even the same personality. Right, right. You just heard me say he's a founding member of the Mystery mm-hmm. Men, so it doesn't make any sense for him to be solo and this arrogant jerk. And right, right. All that. So I don't buy that. Um Especially, and we'll get into the characters in a little bit, the fact that only three of the actual comic book character mystery men made it into the movie. Mm-hmm. All the rest were created for the movie. Right. So, I don't buy that you're you're saying, well, they just replaced the flaming carrot with Captain Amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. No, I don't buy that. Uh, so, let's talk about the movie. So, the movie was released August 6th, 1999. Um, I usually don't talk about this, but I will mention... This was released the same weekend as The Sixth Sense. <laughs> well, I can see why it didn't do very well. Yeah, if that kind of gives you an indication as to how that goes. Uh, this is something I, I've brought up in some previous episodes, and since this will be the first episode I've had with you, I'm going to admit I stole this from your podcast. <laughs> so when was the first time you saw Mystery Men? I saw Mystery Men, it had to have been like 2000. Because I didn't see it in the theater, I want to say that one of my college roommates. <laughs> you went and saw Six Sense. <laughs> actually, I didn't. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Actually, I saw Six Sense on DVD. I remember with my roommate out outside of college, we saw that uh, did it together. But I want to say I saw it on. I had to have seen it on DVD or VHS at that point. But I did not see it in the theater. But I loved it, and I think because I, he probably knew that I was going to like it because it has such that. Uh, Tim Burton Batman kind of aesthetic to it, and I know we're probably going to talk about that. Oh yeah, yeah. We're going to so, talk about that. So it had, you know, knowing I was a big Batman fan, uh, he thought that I would get a kick out of it, uh, and how they kind of, you know, it's it's kind of, 
off kilter as far as like a you know superhero movie. So I enjoyed it, and and I wasn't I didn't really know much about who Ben Stiller was at that point. So that was new for me to kind of see him in a leading role. But I enjoyed it. So yeah, it was kind of right at the beginning of his kind of boost mm-hmm. right there because I think the only thing he had really done big was there's something about Mary. Right. Right. Other than so. that, he had done smaller. Which this cast is made up of a lot of people who did like independent mm-hmm. movies. Yeah, he was more independent. He was more a serious actor too before, mm-hmm. you know, something about Mary kind of made him more of the comedian, but he was doing serious stuff before because he had done, was it singles or something as like a teen yeah. or after, you know, early college kind of a drama. But which I like uh, at the end of the movie, uh, Janine Garofalo <laughs> even says, you know, people who yeah. support musicians and independent film. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, they're, they're thanking you that they're in this major blockbuster <laughs> movie because they're all from that. Right, right. But So when did you see it for the first time? It was the same. I saw it. I probably rented it from Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Or, or I, I, I cannot pinpoint it. There's a chance because I would have been in college once this movie came when this movie came out mm-hmm. and so there's a chance that it played at the theater at georgia southern oh okay very and possible so I, yeah. I may have seen it at, yeah you know, obviously once it was out of the main theaters mm-hmm. you know when georgia southern got it i may have seen it at georgia southern i can't really remember yeah i was gonna i was thinking i was like if I did see it in the theater i saw like the dollar theater like way at the end of its run yeah but i don't but you know I don't really remember seeing this in theater. I remember kind of watching it. I, I remember watching it on a TV. So I had to have been rented it and watched it that way. So Yeah, I, I think, though, I've rented it, though. That's what mm-hmm. I really think. Um, but the movie was written by Neil Cuthbert. And I wanted to point this out. So, uh, again, Bob Burden did help with the script, but the credit goes to Neil Cuthbert. Neil Cuthbert uh, has... Only a handful of writing credits. Mm-hmm. And they include uh, such classics as <laughs> The Return of Swamp Thing. Okay. Yeah. The second one. The right, one with Heather right. Locklear. Right, right. Which I'll just go ahead and uh, and mention. We will be talking about uh, next year mm-hmm. um, in 2022 on this show. That one is planned. Uh, he what The last movie he is credited for writing... The Adventures of Pluto Nash. Ooh, there's a classic that no one wants to see again. <laughs> I actually rewatched that one about a month or so ago. Really? Yeah. Really? It's still bad. I saw it once and that was enough for me. However, <laughs> he's also the dude that wrote Hocus Pocus. Oh, okay. Hey, you win some, you lose some. Yeah. So he's one for four out of that. <laughs> Two for four, depending on your thoughts on Mystery Men. Exactly. And Hocus Pocus. Yeah. Uh, I also want to point out that this movie had a budget of $68 million. Yeah, yeah. They were expecting this to do way better than it did. Look, that was five. That budget was $5 million more than The Matrix. That's crazy. The that Matrix only crazy. had a $63 million budget. That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And which one holds up better 20 years later? <laughs> it ain't mystery, man. <laughs> yeah. And who but, thought who thought Smash Mouth was going to, you know, carry over? That was my next thing. <laughs> people, the, so the song All Star from yeah. Smash Mouth, people always associate it with Shrek. But mm-hmm. it first 
appeared. Mm-hmm. It was first played. It was connected to this movie yeah. first. Yep. In fact, the official music video mm-hmm. for All Star by Smash Mouth features scenes <laughs> from the movie. They even do the bit with the tryouts and all. Oh yeah, yep, yep. Uh, but it's with you know Smash Mouth sitting there at mm-hmm. the table and yeah. Oh, I mean, it was also in Rat Race. I'd like to point that out. Yeah, yeah, it, Rat Race, it, and they played. They, they did it live on Rat Race. Yeah, I remember that one. They, they so. end up at a Smash Mouth concert at mm-hmm. the end, and but nope, but Shrek gets all the credit. Um, but nope, Mystery Men first one to feature the song All Star that everybody loved in the in '99s and early 2000s, exactly. and now we're sick and tired of it. <laughs> yeah, it had its run. That run is over. All right, let's get into the characters. Really no, there's really no like leader. There's no like main one to talk about. So I I just kind of go in order based off of how I thought of them. And uh, first off is the shoveler. (laughs) William H. Macy. Yeah. Eddie Mm -hmm. is his name as well. Uh, Yeah. William H. Macy, (laughs) right off the heels of Fargo and an Academy Award nomination. (laughs) That's that happens, you know. Yeah. Hey, we'll talk so, about that when we get to uh, Catwoman, right? Oh, um, <laughs> so uh, the Shoveler is one of the original uh, members of the Mystery Men from the comics. Mm-hmm. He appeared in Flaming uh, Carrot Comics number sixteen. Although his name's not Eddie in the comic. Okay. This now this isn't revealed until later. Okay. The Shoveler is really just kind of a background character in these first couple of comics that he's in. Um, it's just a dude holding a shovel, mm-hmm. and it's not until they did kind of they got their own little special run. It was like a four issue special run. Okay, in I want to say the early '90s. I didn't write this down, but I want to say it was like maybe 1990. They got the Mystery Men just themselves got a run. Okay, and that's when you found out a little bit more about them. So in the comics, his name is Stan Bolarski. He is a ditch digger and quarryman. Okay. You do not know what he does for a living in the theatrical movie. True. I don't know if you watched any of the deleted scenes. but No, I didn't. There is a deleted scene where you find out that he is a construction worker. Okay. So they at least kept some tie in as to mm-hmm. you know why he would be good with a shovel. Gotcha. But in the comics, you know, the movie, no one really has powers. We'll get into some of them right. that do. But right. the, the mystery men do not have powers. But in the comic, he himself has no powers, but the shovel Hmm. is King Arthur's legendary singing shovel. (laughs) And he discovers it uh, one day when he's, you know, working. Right, right. Uh, The shovel deems him honest and just. Mm -hmm. And so he, the the shovel uh, allows... Uh, Stan, the shoveler, to become his new master. Okay. And so it is a sentient shovel mm-hmm. that talks. Um, he talks <laughs> and with sings. kind of yeah. Well, I never found anything where he sings. Oh, okay, you just known as a singing shovel. Yeah, I, I read. And again, I did not. I have not read a lot of these comics, so I did have to do just some research to find mm-hmm. out some of this information. But when the shovel does speak, he speaks in kind of like a Shakespearean. Okay. Like Kate, like the way they they write write his his words and all. Uh, he he wears pretty much kind of like uh, overalls, 
is what it uh, looks like. Let me go ahead and say too, a lot of the comics are black and white. Oh, okay. So, and I mean, they look hand drawn black hmm. and white. There's not a lot of not a lot of inking and detail. Mm-hmm. It's very basic. Um, so he just looks like a dude with overalls on. He's got an S on his uh, overalls. <laughs> you know, I do though. I kind of liked in the movie that not only does he have this like leather coat, but then he just wears his son's baseball uh, catcher pads. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, like knee pads that were probably like his son's rollerblade <laughs> knee pads. Right, oh, that, right. Okay, okay, okay. So, notice I, I put the shoveler first. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. He's my favorite character. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. What are your thoughts on the shoveler? Oh, I love the shoveler. And once again, I love William H. Macy, but he's great. And he, you know, I, I love it, especially in the movie, because they kind of set up where, you know, Mr. Furious is the leader, but it's evident that the real leader is <laughs> is the shoveler. Like, yeah. He's, he's definitely the one that kind a father of, figure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He he spur he spurs them on when they all want to quit. Uh, yeah, he and he's definitely the father figure. I love the the family aspect of it too. So, yeah, I love the shoveler. He was great. Yeah, we'll get into because there's not going to be a lot to talk about in the moving panel section. So we're mm-hmm. going to kind of go a little bit more in depth with some of these characters. And so I, I we'll come back to kind of some of the stuff you said, right? Because um, yeah, I really do like this character. Yeah. And I'll be honest, seeing the way he would kind of flip, flip the shovel, yeah. I was impressed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, he made it look cool. Yeah. I ain't gonna lie. And I saw that, you know, they said that in, I think it was World War One or World War Two, yes. that shovel yeah, shovel combat, shovels were used in combat uh, because they had to dig so many trenches and stuff that they were trained and had to fight with the shovel. So I was like, I'm sure that was... Part of the training was to learn some of that stuff, which I thought was really, really cool. Yeah, I actually read that same fact, and I, the one I read, I loved it. Said because uh, the enemy didn't, you know, <laughs> didn't take a time out to wait for them to dig the trench. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You're fighting while you're digging, so yeah. So, so yeah, I, that's pretty cool. I, I know this wasn't really that type of movie, but maybe to even have that connection mm-hmm. for that character to find out that his dad or his grandfather, mm-hmm. you know, uh, was a shoveler during world war two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause they've already established there obviously were superheroes before them. Right. They do that right. with the bowler. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that could have been interesting. Uh, let's move on to Mr. Furious. Uh, although correct me if I'm wrong. Cause I mm-hmm. tried to pay attention to this. Is he call? is he ever called Mr. Furious except for at the very end? Oh my goodness. Because they always call him Roy. They do. I want to say he, he's called, maybe he's not called Mr. Furious, but the word Furious is used earlier. Yeah. Is early, early on. Because I couldn't remember, and I was not about to go back and rewatch. I couldn't remember if when they're, when Shoveler is introducing them, uh, introducing Captain Amazing to yeah, the three yeah. of them. And that's what it say, is. Yeah, does he say yeah. Mr. Furious? He does. That, that's okay. what it is. Because I knew it was very early because it had been a while since I'd, I'd seen it. And so I knew he wasn't called Anger Man. But I, I mean, I remembered what his, you know, his shtick was or, you know, his, you know, his thing. Well, you know, you don't want to make me angry or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't remember what his Rage actual title was. Rage is rising. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I didn't remember what his actual name was. And then when he said it, I was like, oh yeah, Mr. Furious, that, that makes sense. So, yeah. uh, he also, along with the shoveler was an original member of the, uh, the mystery men and flaming carrot comics, number 16. Mm-hmm. I could not find where they've ever given him an actual name 
other okay. than Mr. Furious in the right. comics. Right. Um, so to my knowledge, he doesn't have a name. So, However, they do show that he's a Repo Man, so very similar to what we see in the, the movie. Um, mm-hmm. But in the movie, he's more of just a, a junkyard yeah. breaker. Junk it! Yeah. <laughs> That's one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. <laughs> Lovey crushes the... <laughs> <laughs> That just saved your life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Look at me. Junk it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but again, in the comics, he actually does have superpowers. Right, right. So in the comic, when he gets angry, his skin actually becomes invulnerable. Oh, okay. That's cool. And so he's impervious to bullets. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does get stronger as well. Mm-hmm. When he gets angry, so it's kind of a the Hulk, but he doesn't actually yeah. turn into anything. Right, right, right. It's just he gets angry, and his I guess his skin tightens up, and then he gets a little bit stronger. I couldn't really indicate like how strong he gets, but yeah, so he actually has superpowers. I couldn't figure out where he got them from. I tried to do some research on that. Okay. Uh, whereas you know the shoveler found the the shovel. Mm-hmm. Uh, could couldn't figure that out. Um, that was about all I could find of Mister Furious. He does wear, they did a little nod to it when they come at the very end and they have the new costumes. Uniforms, yeah. And he's got the flames on the bottom of his jacket. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The character wore a, an outfit that had flames like around his neck. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like a collar looking uh, bit. So you had the gotcha. flames there. And that was, uh, I did like kind of that nod to at least uh, the look there. Yeah. Now, I will say I was doing some research, so I know you talked about the script. The script, from what I understand, was very fluid, and it kind of made, originally, I think Danny DeVito was actually originally attached to star as the shoveler. And direct. And, and direct, and mm-hmm. then it kind of fell apart, and then they offered it to Ben Stiller to direct, and he thought it was too big of a budget, too much special effects, that kind of stuff, so he didn't want to do it. But he was originally offered the role of the Blue Raja, and he didn't want to take on that role, and so... When he took on Mr. Furious, yeah, I'm glad they didn't do that. Uh, girl, Mr. Furious, he decided that he didn't want him to have powers. He wanted him to be, in his words, it would be like the the lead singer of a band who doesn't know how to play any instruments. So he thinks he's like the leader or he's the most talented, but he's really not talented at all. So, yeah. which I thought was kind of an interesting take, which is pretty much the character that he plays in the movie. Yeah, I love it. it just it's like he just starts to throw a tantrum. Yeah, exactly. He's- and I love when the scene where they are uh, destroying Casanova's car. Yes. And he's trying to rip the logo <laughs> off of the, the front. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As, and then yeah, tries to break the windshield. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, yeah. The yeah. roof, the roof, <laughs> the roof is on fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now let's go ahead and get into this. So Ben Stiller... Also, apparently, when they got into filming, mm-hmm. he was not happy. No, I don't think and, any of them were happy. <laughs> yeah, and he, yeah, you could really tell that in the movie, yeah. I think. That they just, a lot of them just, I think Hank Azaria is the only one who really wanted to be there. Yeah, he's the one that seems to be having the most fun with this character and really enjoying being yeah. there. You can tell William H. Macy was contractual, contractually having yeah. to be there. Contractually obligated, yeah. Yeah, there you go. I couldn't say the word. Kel Mitchell was just happy that that was his first major motion yeah, picture. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I have a confession to make. <laughs> uh-huh. I, uh, I didn't know if I was going to bring this up or not, but I did not know who Kel Mitchell was when this movie came out. Uh, and so 
You're showing your age. Yeah, I know. So I asked somebody, like, who is that guy? And they told me, and I believe this until I just watched this recently. They said, oh, that's Cisco, you know, the guy who sang the thong song. <laughs> uh, that's because of his hair in the movie. I know. That. Yeah. I know that now, but I've gone a lot of years thinking that. 20, that was, 20 plus years. <laughs> that, that was Cisco. And then I was like, no, I've seen that guy before. That doesn't look so. And then I, when I saw his Kel Mitchell, I was like, oh, that makes sense. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, come on. Kel Mitchell. Keenan and Kel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who likes orange soda? Kel <laughs> likes orange soda. <laughs> Welcome yeah. to Good Burger, home of the Good Burger. Can I take? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So again, he's just happy that he's in a major mm-hmm. motion picture. Uh, Paul Rubens was happy that he yeah. was trying to get past his thing from mm-hmm. eight years ago, which we'll talk about a little bit in a minute. Okay. If we have to, uh, we'll 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 hit it a little bit. <laughs> Moving Jan- on. Yeah. Let's Janine, just go ahead. Jan- I know Janine Garofalo did not did not enjoy working on it as yeah. well. Well, so. hey, and again, my point of starting that conversation, Ben Stiller actually tried to leave. Yeah. Yeah. He tried to quit. Mm-hmm. I said they could. They they <clears throat> they didn't agree on the comedic tone yeah. of the movie, which I which can is, see because it is kind mm-hmm. of uneven. Which is why I don't think it 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 did as well as it could have. Certain parts are very funny, and certain parts are just like, eh, I don't know why they decided to do it that way. Yeah, so. we'll we'll dive into that a little bit more too in the moving panel section. Okay. Because uh, again, like I said, there's not a lot to talk about <laughs> in terms of the comics, so we're we'll break down the movie and the characters a little bit more in the moving panel segment on this episode. Uh, But let's go ahead and move on to the third member of the team who came from the comics, and that is the Spleen, played by Paul Rubens in, in, I guess, what you would say was his comeback film after... Yeah, I would... would, That's true, I mean... Because he did do Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but that may have been filmed around the same time that he was arrested. Oh, I don't know. Because he was arrested in 91. Oh, you're talking about and the movie Buffy the Vampire Slayer, not yes, not the, the movie. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. You don't it's remember been, he was. It's in been the a movie? long. It's been a long time since I saw Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The movie. Yeah, he's so. the uh, he's the vampire that gets his arm taken off. Okay. Uh, and then when he's stabbed, he <laughs> one of the best moments of that movie. <laughs> he he takes forever to die. Oh yeah, I remember that now. You know, he like kicks yeah. the wall. But that movie came out in '92. Yeah. So his arrest was in 91. That movie came in 92. I probably think he he had already filmed it. So this Mm -hmm. was probably his first movie after. And we won't won't talk about what he was arrested for. I'm sure people who know know. But if you don't don't know, you don't want to know. Yeah. So, you know, this was eight years later after the arrest. Mm -hmm. And this was, I think, him kind of making his comeback. Yeah. uh, Only to be humped by a skunk. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was once one again of the, the uneven, yeah. the uneven tone, you know, yeah. uneven tone. But I will say he was probably he's not my favorite character, but he was the funniest character to me. Like he made me laugh more than anybody else for That's me. Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, but just the 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 way he talked, and then the pimples all over his face, and then you know his superpower, which I, I thought didn't was understand hilarious. that though. If you're Okay, your superpower is flatulence. Mm-hmm. Why does that mean he has to have greasy hair, rotting teeth, and these blisters all over his mm-hmm. face? I didn't quite understand that. I don't know if it's like he's rotting from the inside, like he just he's so foul on the inside to have the silent but deadly uh, yeah. <laughs> gas. So, because the the character in the comic actually wears a mask. Um, okay, it's kind of like a hood. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you who uh, Iron Fist in the comics, kind of the the hood that wraps around like a bandana but still covers your face. Okay. He actually though didn't. He wasn't one of the original members. He did not appear until that four issue run that I mentioned uh, later. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, he first appeared. It was called Bob Burden's Original Mystery Men. He appeared in the first issue of that. He also, like Mr. Furious, I couldn't find an actual name for him, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't think they give him a name in the movie either. I don't think so either. I think Not they just I call remember. him the Spleen. Mm-hmm. But his origin in the comics is that he was the victim of an experimental surgery by an insane ham radio operator. Okay. Let me say that again. <laughs> an experimental surgery by an insane ham radio operator. Right. Now, now you did say this. This was originally written in the seventies, right? Not this comic, though. Okay, this when comic was, this? was the eighties. This, this comic was eighties uh, or nineteen ninety. Okay, all right. Um, okay, I'll say a lot of cocaine in the eighties. So you know, because <laughs> even the original, you know, Mister Furious and the Shoveler, that was 84. 84, or 87, okay. 87, excuse 87. Me, 87. Okay. So yeah, yeah. No, it was it was the flaming carrot that was nineteen seventy nine. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So here's what happens in the surgery: his spleen is replaced with a radioactive ham. Okay. A ham radio operator. And again, that's not the same ham. Yeah. A ham yeah. radio operator performs a surgery, an experimental surgery mm-hmm. on this man and replaces his spleen with a radioactive ham, which is what gives him his superpowers. Because again, he does have superpowers. Yeah. Uh, which are his his flatulence, but he can also spew acid. That okay. Another another thing he has. So yeah, there you go. Okay. That, that, again, these comics are weird. Yeah. I'm like, let's just put put different things on a on a dartboard and just throw arrows at them and just work them into a comic and get it made into a movie where it's successful or not and we can retire. So Yeah. And I am sure that there are fans out there of Flaming Carrot and <laughs> these mystery men. I I'll be honest, again, I had never read any of the comics, mm-hmm. but when we decided to do the show, I pulled some of them and uh, attempted to read them and I could not get through but a couple of issues. Right. Uh, and after that, I just kind of just did some of my own research to find mm-hmm. out more information about these characters. Cause whoo. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's move on. Uh, now we've got characters that were made just for the movie and we'll start off with the blue Raja mm-hmm. played by Hank Azaria. And I, I don't know how I felt about this character. <laughs> right. We're we're going to get into this probably a little bit more, but I'm just going to go ahead and ask you the question now. Was this character racist? <sighs> I know. I don't was, think so. Was he, was he appropriating another? I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, can you, you say that about the British? Is it more just an accent than? But it's not just the British, which is, oh, his British accent. Um. <laughs> It's not just the British, it's the fact that he's a British guy in a Indian garb, yeah. a Middle Eastern garb. Which he makes the comment about, it doesn't make sense when we know the history, and I'm like, I don't know what history you're talking about, but yeah. So I didn't, again, I didn't dig deep into it. Look, I was more concerned about the relationship he had with his mother, because she got really excited 
hearing him talk in the British accent. So that uh, kind of that kind of bothered me more than we are going to we are going to talk about that later. <laughs> so let's hold off on that. OK, uh, we really don't have to. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say he I will say, though, and I, I heard Hank Azaria did some of his own, just like William H. Macy with the handling of the shovel. Mm-hmm. Hank Azaria actually did some of his own work with the with the spoons the and forks. the forks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that he threw them. Obviously, they then mm-hmm. took over with some special effects yeah. on how they flew. But he actually could sling them. Uh, there's even the trick he does. I think it's with Casanova where he actually like does almost like the card trick where he hides them mm-hmm. behind his hand. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was cool. Yeah. I thought that was pretty. So I was pretty impressed. Uh, mm-hmm. Even even as the character, I'm going, this is impressive that yeah. he can oh, throw, yeah, yeah. throw these forks like that. I mean, yeah, he needs to work on his aim, as we find out very early on. <laughs> Uh, which it's I love that good. he has horrible aim in that first scene. Mm-hmm. Then when they attack Casanova's car, he not only gets a fork into the car, but he has it ricochet so that it uh, hits. Does it hit the window or the lock? The window. I think it was the button? lock. Yeah, I yeah. think it was the lock because they couldn't get out. Yeah. Yeah. Which also doesn't make sense. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm like, what? how does all of a sudden he have this great accuracy? Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, then when we have the training montage, uh, apparently just by hiding the fork, he gets better accuracy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hey, but I will say, like, going back to your thing about the, at the car, him, he and uh, Janine Garofalo, Bowler Jr., whatever, I can't remember her name, um, Bolet, uh, they make kind of a face like, oh, well, this actually worked. So it, I think they kind of played it off as like, oh, it was he wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a skill. It was just like, oh, it, you know, I did something and it finally worked. So, yeah, no, I did see that too. I, I don't know. And again, we'll probably talk about this more. I, I know I have it further in my notes, but uh, Hank Azaria really pushed that envelope. I mean, with him doing like a poo uh, mm-hmm. on uh, The Simpsons, right? Right. And it, it's been, it's this day and age has been very interesting for his career. Yeah. 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 But he was known, I mean, he was known, especially at that time, he was known for doing all those voices in The Simpsons. And so he was really known for doing the accents and the, and the different voices and stuff. So I kind of wondered if it was, that was more to showcase that, that he was a normal American guy, which was like a grown up teenager, which why I think this movie was really geared towards preteens. You're really, you're really hitting into my notes for later. (laughs) Yeah. So So, yeah, we'll, we'll get there, but yeah. Yeah. So. So let, let's go ahead and move on to the bowler. You mentioned her earlier, <laughs> yeah. Janine Garofalo, who you know was right off of her success with The Truth About Cats and Dogs, uh, which kind of made her a, mm-hmm. a notable name um, from the independent movies that she had been in. Right. Uh, of course, she is one of she's the first character that we see who actually has a superpower. True. Yep. Because, yeah, she pulls out the bowling ball. Uh, awesome looking bowling ball. Yeah. I absolutely oh, yeah, yeah. love the bowling ball. Yeah, yeah. Got her father's spirit in it. <laughs> and his skull, obviously. Yeah. Now, here's here's where here's a question I want to ask. Did she control the ball or was it his spirit controlling the ball? I think it's his spirit controlling the ball. She just kind of catches it when it's done and takes it out of the bowling bag, is the way I understood it. Yeah, that was kind of my thought too, was that it was actually the the spirit, the ghost mm-hmm. of her father that was controlling the ball. But yeah, I love that she talks to him <laughs> and all that. And, that was and, the whole... and he talks to her. Yeah. yeah. That they can't hear it, uh, but she can. 
at least we assume he's talking to yeah, her. Yeah, true. Yeah, and yeah. she's just not mental. Mm-hmm. But here's what I here's what I like the most about her character is she's obviously the token single female in a superhero group. Right. You know, Black right. Widow with the Avengers, Wonder Woman with the Justice League, uh, Sue Storm with the Fantastic Four. You go back to the original X Men; it was just Jean Grey was the mm-hmm. only female. It wasn't until Chris Claremont, who I mentioned earlier, who brought several other females. But I love that she she kind of breaks that stereotype. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not sexualized in any way. No, no. Even though the spleen is always trying to, you know, make his move on her, mm-hmm. she rejects mm-hmm. him. You know, right. I, I like a no, no, no. <laughs> and and I there's love you. no, yeah. <laughs> and there is no implied relationship. Like there's, no. they don't do anything to indicate that she yeah. might end up with one of them. They right. do build a relationship with her and Blue Raja, mm-hmm. but I think that's more of a, and we'll get in, we'll get into this. It's more of because of their parental issues. She's right. they kind of see kindred kindred spirits yeah. within each yeah. other. Yeah. Um. So it's more of a friendship. The other thing I love, she's the most powerful one of the team. Yeah, by far. Because. They could not have succeeded without her. Correct. Absolutely correct. Or I mean, they, the spirit of her dad. Yes. <laughs> but but still, I mean, mm-hmm. and so I absolutely love that they gave us this character. And Janine Garofalo is perfect to play her. Mm-hmm. Uh, one Again, Shoveler is still my favorite, but Bowler, probably a close second for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I enjoyed her a lot as well. Uh, then we have Invisible Boy. As we mentioned earlier, <laughs> played by Kel Mitchell. Not Cisco. Yeah. Also, uh, I don't think we mentioned this. So Blue Raja, his name was Jeff. Uh, right. But the bowler, they never give her a name. Uh, an no, Invisible I don't think Boy, so. I don't think they ever give him a name. No. Uh, which is weird because they go to his house and talk <laughs> to him in his bedroom. I love the joke, though, when he tells his dad, hey, I'm going to go up to my room with three uh, strange men. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. love that line. <laughs> I love, love that line. Now, according to Wikipedia, uh, going back to uh, the bowler's name was Carol. Okay, when but everybody else, yeah. So yeah, that so Ben Stiller was Roy, Hank Azaria was Jeff, William H Macy, uh, the shoveler was Eddie, the bowler was Carol, and then Captain Amazing Lance Hunt was his alter ego. But Invisible Wait, Boy doesn't what? have a name. They, they were, they were the, the same person. Same person? <laughs> Not again! Don't go into that again. Uh, that that was a good bit too. That was a good bit. Yeah. So yeah, Invisible Boy. I like his character. Kind of came across to me as he was the sidekick. Mm-hmm. That he he wanted to show that he was, you know, worthy to mm-hmm. be on the team. But he really was the sidekick. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he really, and he was more the sidekick to the spleen because he's yeah, always yeah. the guy who pulls his finger. Yes. Yeah. They're together in the, the final battle. Yeah. 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 But he was the only one that was like, well, because when they first introduced the spleen, he was the one that was only wanted him to be a part of the group or, you know, wanted to hear a story. So obviously he was the only one that wanted to hang out with the spleen. So well, and then again, that's where I go with the um, the sidekick kind of idea. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's just excited to be there. He's excited yeah. to be a part of it. But then all but, of a sudden we find out he actually can turn yeah, invisible. Yeah. And I was like, that's what I liked about his character, about that he was he believed in it, but he had no one had actually seen him use the power and going back to that father. Yeah. And going back to that, that father figure of the shoveler, 
being the one to say, no, I believe in you. You can do mm-hmm. it. You know, you know, this is going to, you're going to have this moment. So I, I, I enjoyed that about his character. Let me go ahead and ask this though. I, I have a list of questions that I was going to ask you to see your opinion, but I'm going to go ahead and ask this one. Why do his clothes fall off? Because he just turns invisible. Right. He, right. he can't like pass through things. He doesn't turn into a ghost. Mm-hmm. He's just supposed to turn invisible. So I didn't understand why his clothes just fall off. I think, and I might have missed it when I watched it this time, but I'm pretty sure when they first meet him and they're asking him about his power, I want to say that he tells them it only works when he's naked. And that's why they didn't want to see him do it. Yeah, but he it's not like, like in the Fantastic Four movie with Jessica Alba, mm-hmm. we see one time when she goes invisible, she has to take her clothes off. Mm-hmm. They don't imply that he took them off. When he goes invisible, they drop yeah. as oh, if he yeah, vanished. Yeah. yeah, I got you. I got you now. Yeah. So I didn't quite under the, just the, once again, again the movie the movie is uneven. It has its yeah. it has its its moments that just don't don't work. Yeah, and we have to you know accept some disbelief in a, a superhero movie, but mm-hmm. you, you still got to have logic to your <laughs> your stories. Logic where logic is needed, anyway. Yeah, there you go. Here's another thing. So I don't know if you remember the trailers for this movie or if you maybe watched it uh, to prepare for this. His big that is his big moment when mm-hmm. he turns invisible in order to get through. That was in the trailer. Yeah. 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 Which is why I've gotten to where I don't like watching trailers anymore. <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> because they give too much away. Yeah. They give too much away. Well, yeah. yeah. And, and of course, they just put it in the trailer because Janine Garofalo has that great line of. You know, hey, you mind putting some clothes on mm-hmm. if you're going to continue fighting evil today? Right, right. Uh, let's finish this out. So the Sphinx, mm-hmm. who was the most worthless character of the team, <laughs> played by Wes Study. Uh, did you rec- do you recognize Wes Study from anything? Mm-hmm. I, he looked familiar, but I couldn't think of what he was in. So Last of the Mohicans. Ah, there we go. Yeah. Uh, Street Fighter. <laughs> I know he was in that too. Probably didn't. Probably don't remember that one as well as Last of the Mohicans. Avatar. Well, yeah, I wouldn't one, remember any. He's one of those. Char- he's one of those character actors where yeah, you're he, not gonna. Not yeah, gonna look you same look at him cute. and you go, I know I've seen you in something. <laughs> yeah, it's just what is it? I also love that they just pay off a bit by showing that he actually can split guns in half with his mind, mm-hmm. but then that he doesn't decide to use that. Later, when they raid Casanova's house, right, right, didn't quite get that. And I was right with Mister Furious. Uh, on I was annoyed <laughs> by all of his sayings. That was one of my favorite parts. Uh, that was one of my favorite bits. Was the you know the play on words and the play on the phrases, which I love when Mister Furious catches him on it. That's what you're going to say, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not necessarily. Yeah, your, your your anger will be your master or whatever right. it was. If you yeah. don't master your anger, anger will be become my master. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you're going to say, right? <laughs> not, not necessarily. <laughs> Rounding out this uh, cast, we had Doc Heller, played by Tom Waits, mm-hmm. in a movie you could, in a part you could definitely tell that he didn't care to be in. Um, <laughs> uh, then, of course, we get uh, Jeffrey Rush, <laughs> Oscar winner, 
Jeffrey right, Rush right. playing the villain Casanova Frankenstein. I first want to say greatest villain name ever. <laughs> right, right. I love the name Casanova Frankenstein, but he's a really flat character. There's really not a yeah, lot no. to him. And then, of course, we've mentioned already, we got Captain Amazing, uh, which Tim says is also the same guy who played Lance. I I, I didn't know they were the it's same It's the same person. guy. I'm telling you, it's the same guy. I don't know. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. If it is the same guy, you realize that's the only secret identity in the entire movie. True. True. None, no other character has a secret identity. No. Even though Mr. Furious tries to make it, you know, when he doesn't want to tell the uh, the, the waitress his name, yeah. he tries to, my secret identity name. But yeah. But uh, Greg Kinnear is awesome. I love Greg Kinnear. Especially in this, so I yeah, when, played it very well. When I was rewatching it for the sh- the podcast, Bethany was uh, in the room. She wasn't mm-hmm. really paying full attention, but she was in the room. And I think it was the moment when Greg Kinnear, when Captain Amazing gets knocked out by the gas, <laughs> that Bethany just said, "Greg Kinnear's great in whatever he does." Yeah, was, he he definitely he you could tell he enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Hello movie viewers and fellow movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams and I'm the creator and host of Movie Views Presents the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. See, I love the 80s and I have a great appreciation and nostalgic passion for the classic 80s flicks that birthed my love for movies and ultimately helped shape my childhood. On each episode, I'll discuss, with a special guest co-host of course, a different film from the 1980s. We'll share memories, favorite characters, iconic scenes, and even share some behind-the-scenes stories along the way. We'll discuss famous blockbusters like Raiders of the Lost Ark, Coming to America, Ghostbusters, Dirty Dancing, Top Gun, Die Hard, and many, many more. As well as some other cult classics and even lesser-known flicks we discovered on cable TV or the now-defunct video rental stores. Remember those? No matter what 80s flick we choose to talk about, we'll always have a good time, so come and check us out. You can find the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast on major podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and more. Be sure to subscribe or follow so you don't miss a single episode. Once again, I'm Tim Williams, and I hope you'll join me for the next 80s Flick Flashback. All right, so let's get into the moving panels. And as I talked about already, there's not a lot to pull from the comics here. <laughs> they they pulled three characters. They made them completely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's really nothing to pull here. So let's just talk about... Uh, certain, I do want to mention, in the comics, the Mystery Men actually do team up for... I think it's a four-episode, uh, four-issue run. They team up with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, very cool. I do eventually want to go back and read those issues because uh, I think that <laughs> yeah. might be fun. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but I just wanted to throw that out there. So I want to start this right off the bat. What is this movie? In the words of Drax, why is this movie? <laughs> like, is it supposed to be a spoof or a parody of comic book movies? Yeah. And and that's but when why? I was. Like, yeah. <laughs> The, the comic yeah. book movie hadn't become a thing yet. Mm-hmm. I want to say, like, when I first saw it, that's the way I took it. Like, I was like, okay, you're 
you're kind of making fun of Batman with the aesthetics and then you've got these different, you know, wannabe superheroes. And of course, you know, Captain Amazing being like the Superman, Captain America kind of, Batman. you know, figure. Yeah, figure and, and you're, kind of, you're kind of spoofing it. So I like that aspect of it. But yeah, you're right. It wasn't 99. When was the so, last? Yeah, was so here you go. So obviously Superman started off the modern superhero movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1979 Superman, uh, which was our very first episode of this right. podcast. Uh, but then it was followed by three sequels that just got campier and campier. <laughs> right. Then 89, we get Batman, followed Same by problem. three sequels <laughs> that get campier and campier. Right. We had Captain America in 1990, another mm-hmm. episode we've done on this show before. Right. Campy, but also forgettable. Most people don't mm-hmm. even remember that movie. Nope. Uh, the Fantastic Four movie from the 90s, which was never even released. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had Supergirl in 1984, which right. was a bomb. Mm-hmm. Then you had like Dolph Lundgren's Punisher, mm-hmm. which most people, it's not even really a superhero movie. Yeah. Uh, you did have Blade came out right before yep. this movie. Right, right. Uh, 98, 99. But again, completely different tone and style. Mm-hmm. I will say this, though, because I, I saw some connections here. You had Austin Powers. Yes. That came yes. out in 97. And uh, the first one came out in 97. The second one came out in 99. Mm-hmm. But Austin Powers is a spoof. Right, right. So Which it, it has a lot. Of, it shares yeah. some of that same DNA, I think. So. And then the, you this, had. Uh, you had. I mean, The Shadow. Um, mm-hmm. You had The Phantom. You had Dark Man. You know, all of these other kind of quote unquote superhero things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you already had other spoofs like Meteor Man in '93, yeah, and Blank Man in '94. But see, it wouldn't be until after this movie because mm-hmm. X Men would come out in nine in 2000, right? Spider Man would hit in 2002, I think, or 2001. Um, it was one or two because there was the whole World Trade Center right, uh, right. deal. So if this movie had come out maybe five years later, it would have made mm-hmm. a little bit more sense that it was making mm-hmm. fun of. But to me, and you mentioned this with Tim Burton, I don't think it looks like the Tim Burton movies. It looks like the Joel Schumacher movies. Well, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think some of the sets were left over from... I had heard that, yeah. Batman, so... But it had... Yeah. Yeah. I could, I was going to say, I don't call it Tim Burton. I think it's kind of trying to mimic Tim Burton, which is kind of what Joel Schumacher did as well. He was trying to keep some of that aesthetic. So, yeah, I think you're right. It's more of the Schumacher than... Than Burton, think about it. But again, we're falling into that same bit. So, you you pretty much just said this yourself. Schumacher was in essence parroting Burton mm-hmm. with his movies, and he also was pulling from the '60s campiness of right. the Adam West Batman, right? And so then, when you get to this movie, it's just like, okay, we've already seen these neon. You know, colors, this green hue to everything mm-hmm. um, from Batman and Robin. Yeah. So, that, yeah, that was my biggest question was. So, yeah. So Batman and Robin came out in 97. Mm-hmm. And this movie was announced in 97, along with several other comic book adaptations. Some that were made and some that were not. Here's the list. Blade, which was made. Mm-hmm. Virus, not made. No, Virus Superman- was made. Oh, Virus, okay. Mm-hmm. Superman Lives, we know, did not get made. Yeah. X-Men was made, Fantastic Four, The Hulk, Captain America, 
The Submariner, Iron Man, Daredevil, and Silver Surfer. So okay. they were they were planning on, you know, launching oh, several yeah. comic book Marvel, movies. Marvel, yeah, Avi Arad, and I know I've talked about him in uh, some previous episodes. Avi Arad, who was the executive producer and kind of head of Marvel Entertainment mm-hmm. at the time, he had a lot of big plans right there at the mm-hmm. turn of the century. Right. But and and some of it happened, some of it didn't. But but again, that's what I'm still saying. This if this movie had come out maybe just a few years later. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. After Spider-Man, after X-Men, it yeah. would have had a little bit more resonance for the spoofiness of it, but yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, that was my big one. Uh, like I said, I, I thought the city felt more like Schubacher's Gotham, which again I read too that it was some of the same sets. Uh, I also get got a Blade Runner feel with all the signs mm-hmm. and how yeah. some of them were in a different language. Yeah, um, like yeah. even you noticed um, like the Pepsi logo because yeah, yeah, it wasn't the Pepsi logo, <laughs> and I was very confused by that because I was going, wait, that kind of looks like the Pepsi logo, but it doesn't say Pepsi. Yeah. It looks like it says something else, and it's a little different. Mm-hmm. I'm like, so it did Pepsi approve of them? Well, I want to say he had a Pepsi, a real Pepsi logo on his back because you see it when he's walking to the limo. Look, every time when- I saw his back, I was distracted by those two like <laughs> silver buckets that were right. like attached to his back. Right, but the one on his like his sleeve, yeah, had like a different font or a different writing yeah. on it. That it was also it, the red and blue didn't quite have yeah, the curve yeah. that they do. I assumed it was like an international maybe version. Is what the way I, the way I read it, but they mm-hmm. mentioned but they mentioned Pepsi several times. I'm assuming yeah. that Pepsi gave them you know they were doing some marketing for Pepsi there. You would think. Okay, here's a, here's a quick question. Okay, whatever became of the doctor that helped get him released? Yeah, she because- shows up. That's Lena Olin, which is you know she's a she's done some really good acting. She has like four lines in the whole movie. She shows yeah. up and then she doesn't do anything else. Once again, I, that goes back to what I, some of the things I read was it was a very fluid script. It was constantly being rewritten. And I think because uh, I want to say Luis Guzman was yes. actually in it as the, uh, the he was in the uh, diner. Food truck, yeah. Or the food truck or the diner. And he, he, they filmed some scenes with him got cut mm-hmm. out. So um, I think she probably had a bigger role. And even the waitress, I said in one of the versions of the script, the waitress was actually with them in the was going to be with them in the final fight, not just the damsel in distress. Yeah, which would explain a, maybe how all of a sudden she's kidnapped. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So, and she, you know, she, she kind of, she was also. They probably morphed the shoveler speech into some of the what she said because supposedly she was the one that kind of rallied them, rallied them together uh, in the in one of the original drafts of the script. So, and they also uh, several of them had said the original script they received was so great. And then what it became was so much less than what they originally were given. So, yeah. And they weren't happy with the director pool. That's a whole, it's a no. whole other story. Well, I mean, we, they, yeah, we can hit some more of that stuff. Uh, so, yeah, I had heard the, because going back to what we talked about earlier, kind of the infighting between the actors. Mm-hmm. So Hank Azaria comes in pretty much treating it like it's a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Then you got William H. Macy who comes in. And kind of gives it a, it's more of tongue-in-cheek humor. Mm-hmm. And then you got Ben Stiller coming in and doing it more parody is more right. of what he's looking at. 
And the thing is, is they kept those ideas to themselves throughout their entire performances. <laughs> yeah. So it yeah. does feel like you, you don't quite understand what where this movie is going in terms mm-hmm. of its, you know, theme. Right. In terms of right. what actually it is. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then you got uh, Paul Rubens who comes in and his character is very different mm-hmm. from the rest of them. Yeah. You know, he, he doesn't even look like a normal person. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, I think they all kind of came in with their own individual ideas and tried to make the most of their character. And the director just didn't know how to. And he was a the director had done commercials. This was his first and only feature yeah, film. I was going to say he never <laughs> did another movie. So he didn't really know how to wrangle the ideas and make it cohesive all the way. Now, there was rumor. and I don't believe this at all that Tim Burton actually directed it. And that came used, from Tom Waits. Yeah. So and there was so, an interview where Tom Waits said that it was actually Tim Burton using a pseudonym. Mm-hmm. But I... I don't believe the, it. Yeah, and also the fact that Tom Waits didn't even care to learn his lines. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the rumor is, how true it is, I don't know, but the rumor mm-hmm. is, is that the reason why he's always so weird with his hands mm-hmm. uh, is because he has written... His lines on his, on his like forearm and fingers, <laughs> right? So he was putting them up in front of his face so that he could read it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, there you go. It's just oh, this was a movie. That, that's all you can say. This was <laughs> yeah. a movie, but I love it. I enjoy it. I, I enjoyed watching it again, and I've seen it several times. Uh, one more question I want to ask before we get a okay. little deeper because I am okay. going to get a little deeper with some of the characters. Do they have a moral code? No. Because, so, so they establish that, especially with Tom Waits' character, with the Doc Heller, mm-hmm. you know, all of his weapons are non-lethal. Right. And they're the good which guys. They, which they weren't happy about when they found that out. Yeah, they weren't happy with it. And then, of course, they're the good guys. Mm-hmm. But then we proceed to have not only, uh, you know, accidental death of Captain mm-hmm. Amazing, but... true. The bowler kills Eddie Izzard's character. Mm-hmm. Re- as revenge. Yes. And then Mr. Furious kills Casanova. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going like, okay. So, yeah, definitely not Batman. You know, they're <laughs> definitely not following the usual superhero trope of, you know, we just do justice. We don't right, kill. Right, right. I, I just, I need you to pick a lane, mystery men. <laughs> You're going to do this whole thing about non-lethal weapons and then give us this really awkward scene with the women and they shrink their dresses. I didn't I didn't understand Ooh, that at that all. That was uncomfortable. Yeah. Once again, that that gave me that Austin Powers vibe yeah. like they were the just trying to dupli- duplicate something that worked in another movie or you know something similar. Yeah. But you want to talk about even Austin Powers, you want to talk about movies that can't be made today. Very true. Very uh, true. And that scene could not be done today yeah. and even, oh and then it just made it worse when uh, ben stiller says i think my pants are shrinking yeah yeah oh cr- just cringe very cringe but like i said i wanted to get a little deeper into some of the characters and kind of look at them on a psychological basis okay to me the main three the shoveler blue raja and mr furious mm-hmm. to me they seem to be characters that these people have created out of a desire 
mm-hmm. to be that type of person. Right. For instance, Eddie, the shuffler, the shoveler, he's a good man. Mm-hmm. That is established. He's mm-hmm. a good man. But I think he feels lost. Like, I think he doesn't, he doesn't feel that what he's doing is worth anything. Mm-hmm. Even though his wife tells him it is. Yeah, Tells exactly. him, you know, how good of a father he is, how good of a husband he is. For some reason, he does not accept that. Mm-hmm. But yet, when he's the shoveler, he has a little bit more confidence in himself. Mm-hmm. And then he very easily accepts even the faintest hints of gratitude that come from like Captain Amazing. Right, right. And so that was that was kind of the way I perceived Eddie or the Shoveler. What's your thoughts on that? No, I, I'm I'm 100 there. I, I think it's you know he of course they I'm, I see it's like they idolize Captain Amazing and want to be able to do what he does and help people. But there's also, at least for the shoveler, I think that's what he's, he sees this person he wants to aspire to. And even mm-hmm. though his life is great with his wife and his family, yeah. and he's, he's, you know, obviously does well at his job um, to provide for his family. But I'm not this. I'm not, I'm not yeah. amazing. I'm not Captain yeah. Amazing. So let me try to, you know, model my life after him and, and be able to fight crime the way he does. So, yeah, I think I, I can see that 100%. And then you, moving on to Jeff, the Blue Raja, you actually mm-hmm. hit on this, and it's right here in my notes. He's a grown-up teenager. Yeah. He hides what he's doing in his bedroom from his <laughs> right. mom, doesn't want his mom to come into his bedroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, he steals from his mom right, to do the things he wants to do. But then again, as the Blue Raja, same thing I mentioned with, with uh, the Shoveler, he has a lot more confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also as that teenager aspect... It's like he's always trying to show off for his friends. You know, he wants to show them that he can mm-hmm. throw those forks in a certain way and uh, that he's knowledgeable of certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, at the same same time, he comes across as like a, an obsessed fanboy, kind of like what you were mm-hmm. just saying. Uh, but not only for the Captain, Captain Amazing, but the the whole British rule of the Middle East and right. India, you know, the fact that he knows that stuff and he knows it so well that mm-hmm. he's developed this character almost as if he's doing cosplay before cosplay was cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, um, because that was my thing, you know, 1999, the geek culture that you and I are a part of with our podcast, mm-hmm. that didn't exist. Well, no, no it, existed. it existed. It, it wasn't, wasn't main- accepted. It yeah. wasn't mainstream. yet. It wasn't mainstream like it is now. Right. You know, people didn't really, there there weren't news reports and whatnot about Comic-Cons and, <laughs> right. uh, you know, Big Bang Theory mm-hmm. wasn't on television. So I, I kind of think that's what he's portraying is that geek culture mm-hmm. uh, there. Um, then moving on to Roy. Uh, Roy, I think, is a, is a little bit more obvious to yeah. see. He wants to be tough yeah. and, and cool and all, but he's not. Mm-hmm. He, he gets scared when he's actually confronted, as mm-hmm. they show with that cop at the yeah. beginning. Yeah. He's he's not as cool as he wants to be, which we mm-hmm. see when he tries to ride off on his motorcycle. <laughs> and he's very shy and timid, which mm-hmm. we see with the waitress, with uh, Claire Forlani's character. You know, he, he doesn't, he, a little awkward talking to her. Mm-hmm. And so part of me wondered if, and I'll get your opinion on this. 
Part of me wondered if his furious character was actually a way for him to hide his anxiety. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I could see that. It, let me, yeah, let me, let me magnify the opposite of how I really feel. Like, let me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. that I'm, I'm getting nervous, but I'm going to say it's anger. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm getting scared, but I'm going to say it's rage. Mm-hmm. And which is why I think he says those things. You yeah. know, he says the anger is building. Mm-hmm. You know, rage is growing. And again, different from the comic, but I, I think it's more of a look at psychological. Because, you know, there are people in the real world who do this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Who dress up and, as superheroes mm-hmm. and go out and patrol the streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great documentary on it. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, I, I think it was on Netflix. I don't know if it still is, uh, but it was a while back that I watched it. But great documentary about about that and whatnot. Uh, we'll hit a couple more. So Invisible Boy, to me, I think his the fact that he does have powers. I think the powers come from his insecurity <laughs> that he doesn't well, feel like he is seen. Yeah, I mean that that's the scene when he comes in. It's like I'm going into my room with. Three strange, strange men. Okay, that I'm invisible. I'm invisible. Mm-hmm. So that's let me just be invisible yeah. then. Yeah. And the dad says nothing, and then mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I, I kind of like that little connection there. Uh, and then of course the bowler clearly has daddy issues. Mm-hmm. Um, even though her dad has has passed away, she's still feeling like her dad's in control of her life. Mm-hmm. I love the line at the end where she was like, "Okay." <laughs> We uh, we've I've done what you've asked. Now I'm going yeah. back to graduate grad yeah, school. Yeah, exactly. That was the deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, which again goes into that relationship with uh, Blue Raja, because she he she has her daddy issues. He has the mommy issues, <laughs> which you kind of hinted at a little bit earlier. Which almost teeter on a little bit Oedipus, Oedipus Rex complex, mm-hmm. right, uh, right? But more on the mom side, <laughs> yeah. Because uh, she she does seem to get a little. A little Giddy? antsy. Yeah, I, I'm trying to find a nice word to say. Yeah. Do the accent. I'm like, no, really don't. Don't do the accent anymore for your mother. Yeah. And even when she's watching them on the TV at the end. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Yeah. There's some awkward things there. More more cringe material. Yeah. So let's go ahead and get into it. I think we've talked about this good enough. Uh, let's get into our final decisions. Bag it, stack it, or trade it. So go ahead, Tim. How do you put Mystery Men the movie? This is a... Don't even have to think about it. This is definitely a stack it. It's not the greatest movie ever made. It doesn't rank up there with, you know, most of the Marvel movies (laughs) or even some of the DC movies that you would want to preserve. But it's a fun watch to pull out every once in a while just to, you know, watch something goofy and silly and and laugh at and and enjoy. Uh, So, yeah, it's a stack it for me. It's a stack it for me, too, and almost for the same reasons. I enjoy it. I think the very similar to the way your podcast works. I think the nostalgia mm-hmm. holds it in there more. Yeah. If yeah. I were to have watched this for the first time in 2020, 2021, yeah. I probably wouldn't like it as much. Yeah. yeah. Seeing it in 1999 or 2000, whenever I originally saw it, it worked for that, that time. Mm-hmm. And it connected with me that the nostalgia kind of still holds it into that. that right. Stack it the same as you. Let me ask you this question. Now that we have had so many more comic book movies, has there been a movie that has done this concept better? Deadpool somewhat and somewhat, as, especially yeah, Deadpool two. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. not quite the same, but it's still, it's, you know, those are more tongue in cheek 
you know, they're not straight up parodies. Uh, no, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe Lego Batman is, okay. is another one that doesn't take itself too seriously and, and kind of pokes fun at that particular character in the villains and stuff. So in uh, my head, what about mm-hmm. Suicide Squad? Which one? The new one or the original one? And you pick. I, I, I just think the, the, cause I think in both cases, it kind of does this concept of, they're the heroes that nobody wanted. Right, right. But they're the heroes we're going to get. That was kind of the way I looked yeah, at it. Yeah, but they're not they're not doing it for straight comedy. So I get I get yeah, I mean I I kind of I I kind of thought about Suicide Squad a few times watching Mystery Men, but only that what you just said was the the heroes that nobody wants, the ragtag team that has to come in and get the job done when the real quote unquote real heroes can't do it. That's the only similarities I could find to it. Not the comedy aspect. All right. So now let me throw at you what I actually think is the better version of this in today's, uh, media, the boys. Yeah. Yeah. And I've only watched, I didn't watch the last season. I only watched the first, which was two seasons now. Yeah, so I I watched part of season two. I didn't finish it, but yeah, I I agree with that. Yeah, boys is e- probably doing. Yeah, yeah, even though Captain Amazing was not a villain, mm-hmm. Captain Amazing was clearly the same thing they're portraying with. <laughs> he Homelander. was still he was still a jerk. But yeah, yeah, uh, but you know the same stuff they're portraying with Homelander, where Homelander mm-hmm. is a corporate superhero, right, right, uh, as well as that whole team, um, and then you've got a group of. Guys who have no powers, mm-hmm. who are trying to do everything they can to stop mm-hmm. the the superpower, and but then they also, and I know you haven't seen season two, but they also do get a little help from people who do have powers. Okay, I, I think the boys is a better version of what Mystery Men. I think at least of the movie mm-hmm. was trying, trying to to be. to be. Yeah, I can see um, that. Yeah, where it is a parody or satire. Yeah, I would. I would yeah, say. that's definitely more satire. Yeah. I think. Um, but and then relates the same thing. So, yeah, that's my thoughts. Kind of going a little deeper there at the end. Still works. It's good. All right, so uh, Tim, why don't you uh, share a little bit uh, information? I know I've I've had you on the show before, but for <laughs> people who might be listening for the first time, tell them a little bit about the '80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Well, if you love movies of a certain age, and that age being made in the '80s, uh, then this is the podcast for you. Each episode that comes out every other week, uh, myself and a guest co-host, uh, much like Mr. Laramie, who's been on several times, especially if it's a movie based on a book. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll get together and talk about uh, our memories of seeing it for the first time, talk about some behind-the-scenes trivia, kind of like we did uh, with this one, and uh, just have a good time talking about some blockbusters and some lesser-known movies that uh, you probably discovered on cable TV or your video, video rental store back in the day. So check us out on all the major podcasting platforms. I appreciate it. Or movies that you just... Uh, happen to see you as you're scrolling through Netflix or yeah. Hulu and you're going, I wonder what that movie is. If you're mm-hmm. not from, you know, wasn't alive during the eighties and right. Right. This will introduce you to some great gems. Eighties. <laughs> I know, I know you and I are biased. Yeah. Eighties had some of the best movies, some of the best, uh, well, television, more nineties. I will yeah. say television nineties yeah, yeah, yeah. were probably better than the eighties. Movies but and music. music yeah. Mu- movies oh, and yeah. music. 80s. Movies and music. Eighties was awesome. Mm hmm. 
Alright, Tim, thank you very much uh, for joining me, and thank you for listening. Everybody, whether you're at home, in your car, exercising, whatever you do when you listen, uh, I just appreciate it. So please, once you're done with this episode, once you've got a chance, uh, not if you're driving, but uh, wait till you get to your house, go to Apple, rate and review the show, give us the five stars, give us the, the feedback. Um, that's what gets the show noticed by other people. Share the show with people. Let other people know about this show. Let them know about the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast, too, and help Tim out as well. Follow us on show- social media. I would love to get into conversations with people. Uh, Tim also is on social media, and even if you post to mine, Tim might even at- come in on the conversation. <laughs> yep. Uh, so please do so. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and even TikTok. Uh, we're at Moving Panels. Uh, But for today, I want to thank everybody for listening. And once again, Tim, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was a fun one. one. I appreciate it. All right. For Moving Panels, I'm Laramie Wells. I'll see you on the other side of the page. Now junk it.